Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. This morning, and how good was Linda's story, huh? <laughs> it's nothing like a live story and keeping it real. And for anyone that was at Super Connect, uh, it was a real blast with us on Monday night. And you're invited this Monday night, 7.30, tomorrow night, uh, to do it all over again. Speaking of the word, I'm going to read from uh, the book of Acts as we start this new series Straight into a sermon, this is a sermon from Peter to the religious leaders of the day. Peter the fisherman in Acts chapter 2 verse 29 says, Brothers and sisters, we all know that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then verse 42. And so then after this sermon, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's just get straight to the point. And I want to ask you this question. Throw it up there, Nath. What do you call it when a group of liars, cheaters, divorced and remarried, married, living together, jealous, greedy, envious, lustful, tax-dodging, law-breaking and racist people eat too much, gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light? The church. Now, how does that make you feel? How that makes you feel sort of works out where you might be on the spectrum of who I'm talking to today. Because <laughs> you might be at one end of the spectrum where you've said, Amen. And you're watching in. You're seeing, Amen, absolutely. That's exactly the thing that I, I think about the church. It's the thing that frustrates me with the church because that's what I see the church is. And then they're not really like that when you ask them about it. And that's why on the other end of the spectrum, maybe you're a little bit more like me and I sort of feel a little bit uncomfortable in all that. And I go... Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. We're not kind of like uh, the church. If we're real, that's the church. And if that bothers you about the church, then particularly if you're someone who's been hurt or burnt by the church because of that type of church and those people that you saw who you know live lives that are like that, but then say that they don't live lives that are like that. If that's a thing that bothers you about the church, hey, what if this morning the very thing that bothers you is the very thing that amazes you about the church? <laughs> Isn't that an amazing statement? That that's where we start and God works with that. God works through that, through the church, through the church. Now, if you're like me, you're like me, I go, oh, I'm not sure, you know, it's a, it's, a little, it's a little bit rough. We do a whole heap of stuff and um, I'm not sure if I'm into all of that. And, and that's because most churches have a tendency to gravitate 
towards religion. Most churches have a tendency to gravitate towards religion because we have a tendency to gravitate towards religion. In fact, the church is not a building, you are your church. And if churches gravitate towards religion, that's not the church's or the building's fault, it's our fault as the people because you are your church. And it's the nature of the human heart that we gravitate towards religion. And religion really is, what must I do in order to feel accepted? What must I do in order to be feel, feel or be accepted? Religion is, I obey, therefore I am accepted. I do the right things, therefore I'm accepted. I set the right standard, therefore I'm accepted. You know, I learned this, I learned this um, when I was 14, that I was religious, because I wanted to go and see my favourite jazz band, Directions in Groove, right? Well, I think a reuniting Burnsy at the uh, Enmore in uh, three months' time, which is exciting. They're coming back. But I wanted to go and see Directions in Groove at the basement, in Sydney at the basement. The only problem was I was 14 years of age. Um, so what I did, you know, Dad said, look, all right, I'll humour this. I'll take you along to try and see this Directions in Groove in this over-18 venue. And so I proceeded before, before the concert for a whole hour um, to uh, take my stepmother's mascara and draw a fake beard <laughs> all over my face. And looking back at the memory, the bouncer, when, when he asked me, you know, you are over 18, and I went, yes. I had the deepest 14-year-old voice you could do. <laughs> you could just sort of kind of tell that he was half laughing, half going with it in this particular moment. <laughs> it's what I needed to do in order to be accepted. Needless to say, I didn't get in. My efforts. I had fallen short of the glory of the basement. And as much as we use those terms in that way, it's true that uh, we as religious people are constantly doing things in order to feel right or accepted. And this is not a Christian thing or a people of faith thing, by the way. Non-Christians, not yet Christians, people who don't have faith, people who say they can't have faith are inherently religious people. You do this, you know, when you go to a birthday party, you get the invitation. What's the one thing that you look for on the birthday party if it's a special occasion? What's the dress code? What do I do in order to be, you know, isn't that people's recurring nightmares that you go to a party and you're in the wrong dress code? We do all these things in order to feel accepted. And the problem is that the church throughout history has had this tendency to make their things, their distinctives, their way of doing things, their version of faith, the way. (laughs) And so we see this today. When in all sorts of different ways as a pastor, people come and they ask me all sorts of questions like, is your church, you know, the kind of church where people put their hands in the air? And is your church one of those Bible-believing churches, which I always find a fascinating one. What is, what's that one supposed to mean? You know, is your church one of those churches where you dance around? Does your church have the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a good one, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't realise we're missing the Holy Spirit. That's... It's, uh... Bible, is yours a community church? Is yours a hymn church or a contemporary church? Is yours a snazzy church? Is yours a singles church? Right? We take all of these things, we take all of these things that ultimately become the basis of someone being accepted into our, our church and we make them our version of the faith. And here's why it's so significant to see this for what it is. People very rarely walk away from Jesus, but they do walk away from a version of the faith in Jesus. I love how real Linda's story was. 
didn't walk away from Jesus. She walked away from a version of Jesus at that point in time called Northside Community Church. We're not immune to this. And so that's why my heart in this series is to come back and to say, what did the church look like before it got religious? (laughs) If we've got this tendency towards religion, then churches have a tendency towards getting religious. And if you look throughout the book of Acts, you only need to go from chapter 2 to chapter 15 to already start to see the problems where the church was already getting religious, right? By Acts 15, you've already got this massive council meeting where the Pharisees, the ones that were trying to persecute Jesus, had come to faith in Jesus now and forcing people, men, to be circumcised in order to be Christians. And so the Roman guys are walking to a church with their legs crossed, right? Uh, they just wanted to they just wanted to believe, but we didn't have to go through that. Already, by the book of Acts, the church is getting religious. And so we're asking this question for the next three weeks. What does the church look like before it got religious? You want to know the answer? Ready for this? Simple. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread into prayer. Simple. Wouldn't wouldn't it be awesome if, if, if like, church was just that simple? These three, these three things are the three things. If you're doing these things this year, you're doing church. It says, first and foremost, they loved learning about Jesus. Then they loved life with each other. They gathered together. They did life with each other. And they loved worshipping God. They loved learning about Jesus. They loved being together with one another. And they loved worshipping God. That's the church. As simple as that. And so what does it mean that they loved learning together? You know, it's really fascinating when, you know, I was doing all the research for the message this week. You know, I type in Google. You can do that if you're on your phone during the service or online. You know, Google, what is the apostles' teaching? And what got me was like how many different definitions of sermons that people said, well, the apostles' teaching is the Bible. You know, that the apostles' teaching is the scriptures. That the apostles' teaching is, well, the application point for this message is that that you know you are to read your Bible and literally some of these different commentators like start dissing out on other preachers around the country. You can't listen to this preacher, but you should listen to this one or listen to me. <laughs> and the thing that I really wrestled with when I came and looked at the scriptures here that I see from Peter when you go back a little bit, a bit in Acts that there's no call to read the Bible here in this particular passage. In fact, what this, the apostles' teaching is not, and let me get out of the way early, what the apostles' teaching is not, the apostles' teaching is not saying that you must and should only listen to Sam and Barry's sermons every week of the year. <laughs> That's not what it's teaching. That's not what it's teaching. In fact, like, let's be real with one another, particularly those of you that are on YouTube this morning. Uh, content has been commoditized in the last couple of years, right? I, I, I'm real. You know, I, I understand. Like you guys have listened to 15 other preachers other than what I've got to say to you here this morning. The con- content's been commoditized. Like that's, I'm under no illusions that we turn up to church just because of whatever Sam spits out here from this iPad this morning. It's significant. But that's not what they're saying here. What is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching we see here in really simple terms, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see what you now see and hear. That's the apostles' teaching. 
that's the essence of Christianity. That's like, that's the, for you astronomers, that's the singularity of the Big Bang. Right? That if, if you're watching this morning and you're over religion, and you're over Christianity that's gotten confused and you want to know what is Christianity, it is this, that the apostles' teaching is the gospel. And the gospel is not believe the Bible and obey. The gospel is there was a guy who said he was the son of God and he said that he was going to get killed in order to be the prophet, the Messiah. And he said he was going to come back to life. And we saw it. <laughs> we witnessed it. <laughs> and so as a result, the church goes out. The, 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 the Big Bang was, was people running out into the countryside saying, we've seen a dead man that's come alive again. How will you respond to that? What does this mean for the anxiety that you have about your career advancement this morning? If dead people come back alive. What does this mean about the stress that you've got with your mortgage this morning if dead people come back alive? What does it mean about what you're headed to and what really matters in the universe if dead people come back alive? How do you respond to that? Now, question class. Do you see anything in here about the thou shall nots in this message? And for you theologians, and here's my revelation with this this week in studying this, have you guys noticed, particularly can I speak to Christians who've done this for a little while, have you noticed that most of the stuff that we get caught up on as Christians, and I'm going to talk technical now, that we get caught up on as Christians, most of the stuff that we argue about in church as Christians come not from this message, the gospel, but from the pastoral epistles, to use that technical term, from Paul's management consultancy reports of his churches that he was going to. That's what they are. Corinthians, Galatians, all of these different letters to the Bible, they were management consultants. They were, they were his reports back to the church. I've come in, I've done the review, I've looked at your KPIs and they're woeful. <laughs> right? You don't love each other. You're getting drunk on the communion wine for crying out loud. Like that's, that's not a good KPI, <laughs> right? Even his own brother, Peter, one of the apostles, he says, Peter, you'll fail. You're not walking in line with the gospel because one of the guys wanted to have a ham sandwich next to you and you withdrew. And you you were different from him because you wouldn't have a ham sambo with him. You can eat ham now, Peter, because the gospel is for everyone. So isn't it amazing that most of the things that we as Christians get ourselves caught up on is the pastoral epistles? Paul's management consultant report, yes, of course, around sexual immorality and sexual sin and how people treat one another and women in ministry and all these other sorts of issues that go on in the church. But we don't see a skerrick of this in this because his management report was to come back to his church and say, hey, I'm coming back to see how this message, the gospel, man dead, now alive, saved you from your sins, is working itself out in your community and let's see what's happening. There's not one thou shalt not yet. And so that's my question for you this morning. Which type of Christianity would you prefer? Either thou shalt not or how shall I? Because when you take the gospel into your heart, then you come to realise that the gospel is that we can't do anything to be acceptable before God, that all of our um, own motives in doing church and, and all of our religious activity is basically a whole bunch of people drawing beards on their faces, 
all the prayer, all the goodness, all the works that we're doing, so that when eventually we get to the cosmic bouncer, which is God, (laughs) and heaven's going to be way more exciting than a Directions in Groove concert. (laughs) I I want the bouncer to say, come in. Welcome. (laughs) Religion is constantly trying to do all we can to make ourselves right before God, and the gospel says get rid of all of that stuff because... You know, like, like all good nightclubs, your name's on the list. Oh, Sister Ben, oh, you're with Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Not because of what I've done, because I'm hanging with JC, is the whole reason why we're going to heaven when we come to believe in him. That's the essence of Christianity. Not thou shalt not. But how shall I? Let me put it another way. Christianity, as you've heard me say, is the only religion where you've got to work out what you're going to do when you realise that you don't need to do anything at all. And when you take that to heart, you say, I no longer longer obey to be accepted. In fact, Christianity is, I am accepted. Therefore, I choose to obey. Hear the difference? Religion says, obey so you're accepted. Christianity says you are accepted, therefore you can choose to obey. And so what does it mean then to be learning how to uh, be devoted to the apostles' teaching? I hope you've sensed this morning that the apostles' teaching is not, and dare I say this dangerously, the apostles' teaching is not the Bible. Because let's do our history here, class. There was no New Testament at this point in time. In fact, Christianity exploded, do you know this, exploded and grew more rapidly in the first 300 years without the Bible than it did in the 1700 years proportionally afterwards. Make sense of that. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible is a bad thing or that we should diminish the beautiful and wonderful significance of the Bible because how else do we get this teaching? But this whole day and age of the, well, why should I do this? Because the Bible says so. It's in the Bible. For you accountants, that's a circular argument. Why should I do this? Because the Bible says so. Well, (laughs) it's a circular argument. This is the essence of Christianity, the the, the gospel. And so I guess, how do we live learning the gospel? And you know what? Um, I had three points, and at the risk of confusing all of this, I'm just going to ditch them, so park them, Nath. We're not going there. (laughs) But it all stems... From this question, I want to see just a couple of questions in your heart this morning, like truth, metamucil, you know, like I'll just give you a bit of truth now so it's easy to swallow and then hopefully it will explode within you in about three days' time. I'll just let some of you catch up. First thing I want to ask is, look, whether you're a Christian or not, if a guy has the ability to predict his own death and resurrection and the power to pull it off, don't you think we should listen to what he says? That's the first one. And the second life-changing dynamic, if you want to learn how to live in accordance with the gospel rather than the shout-nots of the Bible, and I'm not diminishing all of that, but if you want to live this morning with a, a dynamic, a framework, if you want to make your Christianity a framework, not hard work, then you ask yourself this question. All those jumbled letters, Nath, down there because I've skipped. Just ask that question. Just ask yourself that question. That question, that one question, that life-changing question is not what would Jesus do, 
That question is, how would Jesus lead my life if he were I? Let me say it again so all you note takers can take it all down. I've got someone, I bet there, there are people in there now, you just love acronyms, don't you? You're like all those wordle people. You know, you're going to write this across the top of your notes and it's going to come down to the top of your page. If you want to start a dynamic in your heart, if it's not already there, or if you want to know my secret is how I want to live in line with the apostles' teaching, I ask this question, not what does the Bible say. I ask this question, how would Jesus need, lead my life if he were I? And this, by the way, now becomes, have you guys ever been to like Commonwealth Bank or the bank, those new coin machines that you've got? Has anyone been in that exciting space, you know, money, that stuff before 2020 and when a pandemic hit? You know, where you pour your coins into that big chute in the Commonwealth and it sorts them all out down through this whiz-bang machine of mechanics. You seen those ones? Yep. Give us a thumbs up on the online forum. You see, that question does that to our lives. It shakes these things out. It shakes these issues around the Bible and culture and what church is supposed to mean and what race is supposed to mean and what sexuality is supposed to mean. All of these major topics get filtered into that question in a way that is a beautiful and a precious Holy Spirit-led dynamic in community. You can't ask this question alone. As we've heard from Linda and her experience in SuperConnect, you, you won't learn the answer to this question alone, but it's a good place to start. So when it comes to the, the Bible, is the Bible important? Absolutely, after all that I've been saying this morning, because what does Jesus say? How would he lead my life? He says, I've come not that the least stroke of a pen. The Bible was paramount to Jesus. His Bible, what we call the Old Testament, was absolutely supreme in life. It's the precious word of God. When it comes to church, did Jesus go to church? You bet he did. He was going to church at 12 and his parents left him in Nazareth, remember? When they went back to Nazareth, left him in Jerusalem. Did Jesus gather? Yes, he gathered. He thought it was significant. Did Jesus do community with other people? You bet. He had 12 guys that he did life together with every single day. And when it comes down to the complex issues of race and identity and culture, I mean, look, just go to the woman at the well and you'll start to see how Jesus pushes into these situations. A woman, midday, in the middle of Samaria, out exposed and Jesus is talking to her. I see the nuance and complexity around this. One question. Okay, I come up against someone that I don't like. I come up against someone who's culturally different from me. I come up with someone who is, is radically different from me. What do I do? I see Jesus sitting by a well with someone who is radically different from him. How would Jesus lead my life if he were I? Reckon you could do that? Reckon you could do how well you eat? That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. Because, look, I did have the points, didn't I, Nath? But, you know, he's given me the thumbs up. I just, I just felt it on my heart. It just get way too confusing that that one question that can totally change the way that you do things, that one dynamic that can change our, our church, because we all have this tendency towards religion. We all have this tendency towards drawing beards on our faces. I'm still doing it. In fact, it's stuck on my Zoom profile, Bernsey. I don't know how to get it off, but we were doing it in team meeting where I put the moustache on, the filters in Zoom, is that what you do? Okay, thank you. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. But we've got this gravity to tend towards religion. And so if you're not only asking how Jesus would live my life if he were I, maybe you're also asking yourself this morning, in what ways might my heart be tending towards religion? 
What could I be taking of the good things of God and elevating them to the place where I feel accepted? That I pray or that I've done this or that I even am a Christian in all of this or my particular theological position on all of this. One of the precious things that we can do because of the example of the early church this morning is to come back and say, what was the church like before it got religious? And look, we're not the perfect church. And you heard, you heard that in the raw this morning. I love that in what Linda bought this morning. I love what God is doing in this place, in our church, in the way that in this dynamic that we're talking about, the fact that someone can turn up here in 2018, <laughs> walk away and come back and say it feels different. Hey, what an affirmation for us. God's taking this stuff into our heart of hearts and it's expressing itself in this messed up, mucked up, beautiful, cosmic, grace-filled, empowered thing that he calls the church. May it be one of those churches that I pray for all of us as we take this stuff to our heart this morning becomes the sort of church that is God's church before it gets too religious. Let's pray. Father, help us with this. And we're going to need your help not um, in these moments of worship as we're with you because we know that your spirit is amongst us now. But I pray into each of these precious moments that we're going to have with people this week, the multitude of interactions that we're going to have with people, not only in our church family, but around us this week. Father, I pray for those that could have been hurt by, burnt by, offended by, ticked off with the church. Thank you for the way that you work so cheekily in people's lives in the way that we saw in Linda's story that you have a plan regardless of which church or wherever it might be. It's still your church, Lord Jesus. You will find ways to draw people to you, Jesus. And I pray if there be any other lenders on the other side of the camera or in this room this morning that feel like that they're far away from you or that they're on the outside, that, Lord, um, they would see the affirmation of that testimony that we've had this morning. Father, for whatever is happening preciously amongst this gathered community in this season as well, Lord, I thank you for the life and the dynamism and the heart and the openness. To be led by you and to be challenged by one another, knowing that we are each grounded in love ultimately for you and for one another. So Lord, I pray your spirit would guide us in those moments in which we can cause the church to be less than all you had designed it to be. But at the same time, may we rejoice in the way that it moves forward strongly even today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, uh, we're going to take communion now. And that's because each week it's a symbol of keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, what I love about our denomination. And you may not have known this and it was a perfect message to talk about it all. But the churches of Christ, our denomination, if you're new with us, the family, the branch of Christianity that we belong to lives off this particular passage. It was grounded in this passage. That it was in a moment that you're about to partake in now. Scottish minister was sitting there about to do what you're about to do now. 
And before it would happen, he was hearing this dink, 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 right before they're about to take communion. And basically in his church, they'd all had special metal tokens that you had to put into a metal plate, you know, just so you could hear that you've put it in the plate and you're the real deal. And those tokens were an affirmation that you'd been through confirmation class. And he heard that and he saw that and he's like, that's not the Christianity I know of before the church got religious. And he said, I'm out of here. And he started a movement called the Churches of Christ. And then went across to America and the same thing happened. And they had the Cambridge revival of, 19, of 1806. There was such an outpouring of the Spirit of God. People were literally running into the forest with joy and having the craziest Pentecostal uh, expressions of God that you would ever see to make us blush. But the Spirit of God came down upon them and it gave birth to a movement that we're now a part of today. And their catch cry when they crystallized that heart was this. They said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. In essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty, but in all things love. We're a church that keeps the main thing the main thing. We're a church that wants to be the church before we're religious because we're a church that's been born out of someone who reacted to religiosity. And we are part of that legacy that we partake in today. So as you eat and drink as a follower of Jesus, you don't even have to be a member of this church. And guess what? No clinks, which means it's his invitation, not the church's, to eat and to drink and to remember him. And take your heart back to the singularity of the Big Bang that changed history as we know it, the birth of the church. Let's eat and drink now as we do that together in love. Let's take communion. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.